Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on Southcrest Live with Dr. David Wilson, we continue our Sermon on the Mount study series. What is a Christian to do when he finds himself on the business end of persecution and abuse? Jesus gives the church sound counsel on the matter in Matthew 5. Turn your Bible to verses 10 through 12 of chapter 5 as we discover the types of persecution, our proper response to it, and the rewards for believers in When Harassment Comes from Pastor David Wilson. You've been bought with a price. Either you're saved or you're not. It's that simple. If you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at the last beatitude today. Next Sunday, we will have Mother's Day and represent that and then come back to the Sermon on the Mount the following Sunday. Verse 3, or actually verse 2, then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to speak to us now from your word pray you would bring conviction and courage to those who are on the fence about living for you openly. pray you would encourage those who have gone through some persecution and prepare all of us, knowing that one day it's going to happen to us. So we ask your blessings on this time and that you would speak to us, especially those who don't know you as their Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A teacher asked a second grader, why are you sticking your stomach out, Bobby? The principal told me to, he said. This morning I told him I had a stomach ache. He told me to stick it out till noon, then I could go home. (laughs) Sometimes when you live for Christ, it's hard to stick it out. Today, this is the last of what we call the Beatitudes, the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. But of all the Beatitudes, this one seems to be the most difficult and most contrary to our thinking. You see, those who faithfully live according to the first seven Beatitudes are guaranteed at some point to experience the eighth one. 
The world does not associate happiness with humility and mourning over sin and gentleness and righteousness and mercy and purity of heart or peacemaking, even less does it associate happiness with persecution. But those who live righteously with will without a doubt at some point be persecuted. Godliness generates hostility, and hostility comes from the world. Kingdom people are rejected people. The last beatitude is really two in one. Though you'll see the word blessed used two times. It's repeated it's in verses 10 and 11, but there's only one characteristic, persecuted, and then, then the result is theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I believe blessed is used twice to show the generous blessings of God to those who are persecuted. Doubly blessed are those who are persecuted. Interestingly enough, this, this sixth, or excuse me, this seventh or eighth, I guess you would say, depending on how you count them, the eighth beatitude, there's six interesting things about it. It is the last one. It's the longest one. It's three verses. It's the only beatitude with a command to rejoice. It's the only beatitude with an explanation. It's the only beatitude that is repeated by Jesus. And it's the only beatitude that is addressed directly to the reader. And you'll notice it says, blessed, blessed are those who are, when you are persecuted, when they revile you, it's not just are those who are this. It's, it's speaking specifically to those who are reading. And up to this, up until now, the beatitudes have dealt with the inner qualities but now, it's going to talk about some external things that come into play. Because we live in a nation that is historically built upon Christian principles and godly principles, whether they acknowledge it or not. And because we as American believers don't suffer as much in the way of large-scale persecution, particularly the kind that, of state-sponsored persecution that many people around the world are experiencing, because we don't live in that way, we think that it's not going to happen to us. But we do live among people and a culture whose fundamental values and priorities are becoming less and less the ways of God. In fact, they're becoming directly opposite the things of God. And it's happening, happening around us. There's a clash between two opposing life worldviews and systems. The life devoted to Jesus Christ and obedience to him, and then the life that has rejected Jesus Christ and rejected God and who has accepted the things of this world, which we know the God of this age is Satan himself, uh, according to 1 Corinthians 4, 4, that, and they are following that way. But the results are hostility, and there's more and more hostility coming to Christians. I mean, you'd have to have your head in the sand not to see it happening. The results are being poured out on the followers of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus mentions, first of all, the real aggression toward believers. Those who will be persecuted are the citizens of the kingdom who live out the previous seven beatitudes. And we talked about how those beatitudes build upon one another. You begin by coming to Christ with nothing to offer 
and how your, your life begins to bear out the righteousness of Jesus and to the degree that a person lives out those seven is going to be reflected in the eighth. They're going to experience the eighth one. Second Timothy 3.12 says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Those born of the flesh will persecute those born of the spirit. To live for Christ is to live in the opposition to Satan in this world and his system. Righteousness, listen folks, whether you like it or not, whether you preach it or not, righteousness is confrontational. And when you live a righteous, holy life, you are going to make people without Jesus feel convicted. And when they feel convicted, sometimes they become aggressive. If we never experience ridicule or criticism or rejection because of our faith, Either we're hiding it well or we've never been saved in the first place. Because what makes you think you're better than Jesus? Jesus said, they persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. But sometimes we hide it well, don't we? A man uh, got a new job working, especially in a difficult place. He was the only Christian there among a bunch of profane people. At the end of the first day, his wife asked him, how did it go today at work? And he said, terrific. They never guessed I was a Christian. Righteousness is confrontational. And even when it is not preached, it's still confrontational. Abel obeyed God and gave the kind of sacrifice that God demanded. Abel did not preach to Cain. And yet Cain was so aggravated and so convicted and could see his own wickedness and, and was in constant rebuke by his wicked brother, not because his brother was preaching to him, but because his brother was living a righteous life. So what did Cain do? Killed him. Moses, when he was in, in Egypt, he began to identify with his own rejected Hebrew people rather than compromise himself in the pleasures of Egypt. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 26 said he considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Amen. And you'll notice it says when you are persecuted. It doesn't say if. The word when also means whenever. The idea is not that believers are going to be in constant persecution. Jesus and his followers were not in constant persecution. There were times that were good, times when people were coming to him. But it says whenever, and it could happen at any time, you should not be surprised or resentful. Every faithful believer will endure some resistance and ridicule from the world, others will endure more extreme suffering. We are aware that today there are more Christians under persecution around the world than at any other time in history. And of course, Sri Lanka is fresh on our mind. That happened on Easter Sunday morning, just a couple of Sundays ago when people were killed. Isn't it interesting that some of our leaders wouldn't even call them Christians, just called them Easter worshipers? How do you worship Easter? You don't worship Easter. You worship Jesus Christ, the resurrected one on what we call Easter. 
But to keep quiet about the gospel, especially the truth, the truth, if you don't want to be, listen, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you the loophole. If you don't want to be persecuted today, just live like the world. Live and let live. If you don't want to be persecuted today, mimic the world's standards. Never criticize them. That way it won't cost you anything. Never tell anyone the truth of the gospel that apart from the saving power of Jesus Christ, you are doomed to an eternity in hell without God. Don't ever say that and you won't be persecuted. But if you believe in the scripture and you believe in the word of God and in the Bible and you start living according to its principles and truths and you start living a life that Jesus has changed in your life, it's going to happen to you sometime. In the Roman world, every year, every citizen had to give a verbal oath of allegiance to Caesar. They had to proclaim Caesar is Lord. They had to say it out loud. Then they could go worship any other God they wanted to worship. But faithful Christians refused to say Caesar is Lord. And as a result, they suffered the loss of property, work, imprisonment, and even death. One Roman poet spoke of them as, quote, those whose only crime was Christ. Now, persecution here comes in three ways. It's mentioned three, three ways. First of all, there could be physical assault. The word persecuted is used three times, verses 10, 11, and 12. It's all from a word that, comes to, that, came, that meant chasing or driving away or pursuing. And from that comes the implication of physical persecution, harassment, abuse, or other unjust treatment. Peter and John were once brought before the leaders of Jerusalem and commanded to stop preaching Jesus to the people. But the apostles were under higher orders, having received a mandate from Jesus himself to spread the gospel. And so they weren't being obnoxious, just obedient. And folks, listen, there's a difference between being obnoxious. Y'all know what obnoxious is. I mean, some people think they're persecuted because they're just flat out obnoxious. We're not talking about, we're talking about living a holy life, a righteous life, a life that glorifies Jesus. There's some people who just have the gift of obnoxiousism, whatever you want to call it. I'm not sure that's a word. I probably made that up. Peter and John were placed in prison. And then you know what? An angel came and released them and told them to continue preaching. So they went out preaching again. And before the leaders, they were physically beaten this time and once commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And the scripture says, when they released that they departed from the presence of the council, Acts 5.41 says, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. The verb persecute is a passive verb, which means to allow themselves to be persecuted. The perfect tense indicates a continued willingness to endure persecution. What I meant by being obnoxious, you know, some people try to draw a lot of attention to themselves. Um, I, I'm trying to think of a good example. As, as much as I hate, as much as I hate abortion. And think it is murder of innocence. 
I'm not going to go out and shoot an abortion doctor in the name of Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. You understand? I mean, we're supposed to live, in fact, Paul told Timothy to live quiet, peaceable lives, but it means that even when you do that, there's going to come a time when the line's going to be drawn in the sand and you cannot cross it because that's not in keeping with Christ. That's not the way Jesus would want us to live. Holiness and righteousness and following God's truth is where we're supposed to be. The penalties in which the early Christians had to suffer We're beyond description. Now, we know about those who were thrown to the lions or burned at the stake. But believe it or not, those were more kindly deaths. Nero wrapped Christians in pitch, set them on fire, and used them as living torches to light his gardens. He sewed them in the skins of wild animals and set his hunting dogs upon them to tear them to death. They were tortured on a rack. They were scraped with pincers. Molten lead was poured, hissing upon them. Red hot brass plates were affixed to the tenderest parts of their bodies. Eyes were torn out. Parts of their bodies were cut off and roasted before their eyes. Their hands and feet were burned while cold water was poured on them to strengthen the agony. These things are not pleasant to think about, but they're the things that a man had to be prepared for if he took a stand for Christ. You want to clear the church attendance out, you start being persecuted. It purifies the church. Because I want to tell you, either you follow Jesus or you don't. We have not seen the day in this nation where we are physically abused, but it could come eventually. Another form is verbal abuse or reviling. It says when men will revile you. Revile carries the idea of criticizing or seriously insulting. It actually means to cast in your teeth. Put your teeth in it. To hurl an insult. To mock viciously. And Jesus says we're blessed when we are reviled for his sake. To be insulted. To be called names. I mentioned Peter and John. Isn't it interesting that Peter writes in 1 Peter, 1, in 1 Peter 4, 16, that he says, don't be ashamed if you suffer as a Christian. In those days, Christian was an insult. It meant little Christ, a Christian. It was a derisive name. But folks, I want to tell you something. To be called A little Christ today? That's not an insult, is it? No, you want to be known as a child of God, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. Now, if we're insulted by being a jerk or a crook or a thief or a hypocrite or an idiot, then the best thing to do is to make sure the claims are not true and leave it in God's hands. And if it is true, repent of that sin and apologize to those you've offended. But if we're called a Jesus freak or a religious fanatic, or the really popular one now, a fundamentalist extremist, then you've got to keep living for Jesus. Any other insults the people of this world throw on us and follow, that follow Jesus, don't be ashamed of being a believer. Welcome it. They are identifying you with Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you something. 
He's the one I want to be identified with because I know that he's coming back. And you know, if they identify you with Jesus, that's a great honor. It's nothing to be ashamed of. We need to be the fellowship of the unashamed. The third type of persecution is false accusation, slander, all kinds of evil against you falsely. You ever had anybody talk behind your back? Doesn't it feel good? It's awesome, isn't it? You know, you can defend yourself if they'll talk to your face, but when they talk behind your back, you can't defend yourself. And with social media today, there's a lot of talking behind the back going on. Everybody's so brave. You don't have to be brave to blast somebody on social media. You're a coward to what you are. The scripture says, I better watch out. I'm fixing to have a spell here. I get them. There's nothing that angers me more than when people don't go to people and talk to them nose to nose. Because the scripture says you're supposed to talk to people nose to nose, Matthew 18. That's my translation of it. And those of you in the venue, I know a lot of you are playing on your phones right now because I can see you. (laughs) But you listen to me. You be man or woman enough and Christian enough to talk to somebody to their face. But false accusations. You know, I, I, I heard about a lady who was known to be the worst gossip in the community. She came to church altar at the end of the service and said to the pastor, I'd like to lay my tongue on the altar. He said, I'd like to help you, but the altar is only 15 feet long. <laughs> Don't be one of those people. Don't be one of those. But the phrase that means that unbelievers will tell deliberate lies about you simply because you follow Jesus. There's no limit to the kind of slander and falsehood you have to endure. Jesus even said in Luke 6, 22, sometime they will exclude you. (laughs) I guess we put that in today's term, they, they will unfriend you. I can remember, still have a lot of scars, emotional scars, being a preacher's kid. By the way, there are a lot of preacher's kids in this fellowship. In fact, there's enough of us here to take over, just so you'll know. (laughs) It's a good thing we don't hold a grudge. I don't know what we'd take over, but I'm just teasing you. There are a lot of preacher's kids here in this, in this fellowship. But, you know, I, I wish I'd have known then what I know now. Because all the verbal abuse and the bullying, actually, the physical bullying that went on simply because your dad is a preacher or pastor. What I know now is they're really rejecting Jesus. Because our family stood for something, not that we were holier than anybody else, but we're kind of a marked person. You know that if a dad's a pastor, you're going to stand for Christ. And, and I gave my life to Christ at a, a young age, and, and now I know they're really rejecting the Lord, not just me, but, 
But you know what? All kinds of false things can be said and done. But the key phrase to this is for righteousness sake. The hallmark of the blessed person is righteousness. Holy living is what provokes persecution of God's people. The real animosity is not against us. It's against Jesus. Because Satan's great enemy is Jesus. And he opposes us because we belong to Jesus. You ever wondered what happened to the disciples after they wrote the New Testament? We can verify a lot of it. Some of it has to go through traditions. James was beheaded. Philip was crucified. Matthew was slain by the sword. James the less was stoned to death. Matthias was stoned, then beheaded. Andrew was crucified, left hanging on the cross for three days. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded by Nero in Rome. Jude was crucified. Bartholomew beaten to death with clubs. Thomas speared to death. Simon the Zealot was crucified. John was exiled to Patmos, died a prisoner. And although we can't verify all of those exactly, we do come to the conclusion that all of them died as a result of following Jesus. Jesus warned them, expect it. John 15, 20 says, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. John 16, 33, in this world, you will have tribulation. I don't, I don't want to go out and try to stir up trouble, but I've got to confess to you that with the pressure that was on a preacher's kid growing up and, and sometimes the pressure of the way people treat you because you're a pastor, it's not that you're ugly. It's just that nobody thinks you're normal. See, some of you think I wear a suit all the time. <laughs> My wife is right over here. The only time I wear a suit is on Sunday morning or when somebody's died or somebody's getting married and there's a lot of similarity in those two things. (laughs) Or if I'm going to speak to some dignitary, whoever that might be. I I see people out and I have my jeans on. They go, I didn't know you wore blue jeans. (laughs) Well, I'm sure not going to come naked. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to wear blue jeans. Blue jeans are God's gift to men and women. We want to make sure we're persecuted for the right reason. But folks, when the real aggression comes, the second thing Jesus tells us to remember what I call the rewarding assurance of believers, because in this, he, he mentions a double blessing. He said, the specific blessing promised to those who are persecuted is that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The very first beatitude in verse 3, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I believe it means three things. I, I didn't write these down, but I believe that the blessings, the kingdom of heaven is threefold. I believe it's present right now. I believe it's going to be in the millennium, the millennial reign of Jesus, and I believe it's going to be in eternity in heaven. Present. 
You know, God hasn't allowed everybody to have the same thing on the earth, has he, for Christians? As American Christians, we have a lot. In fact, when you go to other countries, you don't even want to tell them what you have because you have so much more than they have. And why has God allowed us to have more than the Christians in other countries that don't have many material things? I don't know why. But I will tell you this. We've all got something that the world didn't give us and the world can't take it away. And that is the joy of being redeemed like they sang about a moment ago. See, no matter what you have materially, you still are saved and redeemed and born again, whatever term you want to use, the same way as anyone else. By repentance of your sin, asking God to forgive you, coming to belief in Jesus Christ as the one and only way that he died on the cross for your sin. He was resurrected to conquer death and sin, and you place your faith in Jesus Christ. And you know what? This present world, we have that, don't we? Amen? We have it. Nobody can take it away from you. They can try to kill you. They can't take it away from you. The the depression may hit. They can't take this away from you. You'll never be separated from the love and the salvation that God has given, regardless of the stuff you have, this present world. Now, when Jesus returns and sets up an earthly reign, which I personally believe that the scripture teaches there'll be a literal thousand year reign of Jesus here on this earth in Jerusalem. Now, not everybody agrees with me. But you'll see that I'm right one day when we're in the millennial reign of Jesus. And in the millennium, it states in Revelation 24 that we are going to reign with him. I don't know what all that means. I just want to be in on it. And then, of course, when we go to heaven, the eternal kingdom, the blessing of all blessings of living forever in our Lord's kingdom... Enjoying his presence and the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth. Can you imagine how awesome that's going to be? Some of you really believe that heaven is going to be a boring place. And so you want to stay here as long as you can. Because after all, you're going to give up everything to go to heaven. No. I want you to think about something here. Think about the miracles of Jesus while he was here on the earth. Most all of those miracles were glimpses of reversing the curse, healing people. Jesus said, when you get to heaven, there's no sickness. Feeding people. I I mean, just think about there's no more death. He restored life to some people. When we get to heaven, it's going to be like the earth with no curse which you and I can't imagine because we've been, we were born into this cursed world. Jesus said, if you're persecuted for righteousness sake, he said, don't, don't fret because right now I'm still with you. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Now you're seeing God at work. He's living with you. When I come to reign on the earth, I'm going to, you're going to be there. And when you go home one day, you're going to have an eternal blessing there. The aggression can be real. 
but the assurance of believers is also real. And then the last thing he gives us is the responding attitude of believers. Would be nice if we could just go run and hide, wouldn't it? (laughs) It's amazing. A lot of people think, well, if I just hide from everybody else, I'll be okay. But the problem is, the next few verses, he says, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You can't hide salt or light. So we can't hide as believers. In fact, we're supposed to be bringing other people to it. And so he says, when, when your salt and your light are rejected and resented and thrown back in your face, Jesus gave an imperative, a command. And he said, you rejoice. And be exceedingly glad. Oh, man. You know what that word means? It means you're supposed to jump up and down with excitement. Why am I supposed to be glad when I am persecuted for righteousness sake? Because if I don't, it means I'm not trusting in the Lord. You see, the world can can take away a great deal from God's people, but it cannot take away their joy and happiness. It can't take away their relationship with Jesus. Two reasons to rejoice. He said, first of all, your reward in heaven is great. I don't know what all that means. But if you're persecuted here on this earth, your reward in heaven is great. And then he also said, if you're persecuted here on earth, you are among great company because they persecuted the prophets before you. Persecution is the believer's birthmark. It's proof that you're part of the family tree. If somebody ridicules you because you're a child of God, it's proof that you're part of the family tree. Have you ever heard the name John Chrysostom? He was a godly leader in the fourth century church and he preached so strongly against sin that he offended the corrupt empress Eudoxia as well as many church officials. And so he was summoned before the emperor Arcadius And Arcadius threatened him with banishment if he did not cease to preach against sin. You know what he said? Sire, you cannot banish me, for the world is my father's house. Then Arcadius said, then I will slay you. And then Christosom said, nay, you cannot, for my life is hid with Christ in God. Your treasures will be confiscated was the next threat. To which John replied, sire, you cannot either. My treasures are in heaven where no one can break through and steal. Then I'll drive you from man and you will have no friends left. He said, you can't do that either. For I have a friend in heaven who has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Christosom was banished first to Armenia and then farther away to Pityus on the Black Sea to which he never arrived because he died on the way. 
But neither his banishment nor his death disproved or diminished his claims. You see, the things he valued the most, even the emperor could not take away. Martin Luther, who we credit the Reformation for, he said that he was talking about when we finally get to heaven. If you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. He said, when we shall live in that day, we shall look with wonder on one another and say, shame that we were not of better cheer, braver, stronger, and more joyful to trust Christ and to endure all tribulations and crosses and persecutions since this glory is so great. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, the very end, he said, For the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. In other words, when we finally get to heaven, no one will ever regret having lived for Jesus on this earth. The only regret is that we did not do it more. Today, there seems to be this idea that Christians try to be cool enough to make lost people want to come to Christ. Well, I'm not saying that you've got to be a jerk, but I'm going to tell you something. (laughs) You can only be cool so far. And then you're going to have to take a stand. Because if you don't, you'll start compromising your convictions. And I'm not saying being ugly about it. You know, you can can have real strong convictions and still be nice. You don't look down on people. You don't browbeat people, but you stand for Christ. And when you do, be prepared. Because some of them are going to say, well, what, are you too good to go with us? They may overlook you for a promotion at work because you don't participate in all the other activities that you know are not in keeping with what the Lord would want you to do. Let me tell you, if you can't take Jesus with you to anything that you're doing, then you don't need to be there anyway because he's with you all the time. And so stop compromising. Stop trying to legitimize what you're doing when you know it is in direct violation and sin according to God's word. Either you're going to stand for Jesus or you're not. Let's join the fellowship of the unashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For a person like me that wants everybody to like them, I want to tell you, you know, if there's ever a tendency, I want to make everybody happy, but there are times when you can't. Because you have to say, well, doesn't matter what I feel, doesn't matter what I think, God's word, pretty clear on this issue. This is what it says. So usually they just go find somebody else who'll tell them what they want to hear. I used to take that personally, but I've learned it's not me they're rejecting, it's Jesus, it's God's word. Folks, we don't have to be hard-headed. We don't have to be mean. But you need to be prepared. When you live for Jesus, 
somebody's not going to like it. If you don't know Jesus, I'm going to tell you, Jesus will change your life. He's the only way to go to heaven. He will forgive you of your sin. He will give you a new life, give you a joy that surpasses all understanding according to the world. But I'm also going to tell you that Jesus said, you must take up your cross and follow me. And I want to tell you, when the persecution comes, that's part of the cross of following Jesus. But you know you need to come to him. Would you bow your heads? Thank you, Pastor David. In our exposition of Matthew 5, 10 through 12 this week, we're reminded that some sort of persecution follows all people who would live godly lives in Christ Jesus. This could include physical assault, verbal abuse, or slander. But Jesus reminds us that ours is the kingdom, a blessing for us both in the present and the future and for all eternity. In light of this truth, the right response to persecution ought to be rejoicing as we are identified with the one who suffered most, Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information to make a commitment or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.